Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. Today's episode is about innovation and scaling female-led startups. I am delighted to welcome Fernanda Carapina, founder and CEO of We Global Studios. Fernanda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Fernanda, you are a serial tech entrepreneur, but also a former senior entertainment executive, executive producer and writer, but with over 20 years of experience in the entertainment and technology business, but also passionate about helping women entrepreneurs in, for me, what is essentially still very much a man's world in terms of the way it works. And well, we'll come to that later, but We Global Studios is an innovation studio and platform for these startups dedicated solely to that quest of building and scaling female-led startups around the world. And I'm sure building powerful communities as you do it, but we'll come to that later as well. But I'm fascinated to know more about both your quest and what inspired you to set up these studios. Yes, that's such a great question. (laughs) I was inspired to launch the company because I had launched a a tech company and also a a media company Mm. back in 2000 and around 2010, approximately. And I had grown really frustrated by what I saw as inequities in the Mm. ecosystem. Having had the benefit of working at a studio and uh, both in New York as well as in LA, I've been blessed with a perspective that not a lot of founders really have, Mm. which is really understanding how IP is actually typically created and that there is a way to have a manufacturing process so that you are supported throughout the entire journey. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a studio, a Hollywood studio, if you're a creator, you never have to leave the lot because Mm. you have legal affairs, business affairs, you have content development, you have production, you have distribution, you have your sales marketing people, you have set design, you have casting directors. I mean, you have commissaries, you have everything, mm-hmm. everything there. in the same and place. That, and, and what I thought was ridiculous was the inefficiencies of the startup ecosystem that no mm-hmm. one talked about. Mm-hmm. And there is a very, very sophisticated robust banking system that operates within the startup ecosystem. Everything from family offices to VCs to angel networks to private equity to revenue financing, crowdfunding, you know, debt financing. Mm. Like there are a million different ways to raise money. And that side of the business is very mature and pretty sophisticated. But then when you look at the other side of the coin, which is who's actually helping people build a business. Mm. There's nothing. There's Mm. nothing. The only Mm. thing you have is an incubator or you have an accelerator. Both of those are short-term boot camps that last anywhere from, you know, two months, three months, four months, some as much as six months, but they all lead you to a capital source. Ultimately, it's a pitch night or demo day where it Mm. culminates in. And for women, those two options don't always work. First of all, they're incredibly competitive to get into. Mm -hmm. They're only offered in certain cities. You typically have to be a full-time founder and Mm -hmm. you have to show up every day to participate. Now after COVID, some of them are more virtually oriented. 
but they have a program you have to fit into the program. And mm. for women, because we wear many, many hats, it's Absolutely. hard. And that's what keeps us out of the club, right? Mm. The fact that we have a uterus and, and we have children and we have a lot of people that count on us, mm. right? And unfortunately, our culture does not reward us for this important role that we play mm. on our planet. So I wanted to create a company that could help hundreds of thousands of women develop businesses, not a cohort of 20, mm. not finding just one, two, or three great unicorns. Of course, we want to make money. We want to be successful. But more importantly, when my daughter graduates from college in a year and my freshman in high school graduates from college, if they want to start a business, I want the statistics to be different for them. Mm -hmm. I want the accessibility to resources and the path to success to be clearly, clearly laid down for them. And no one was really looking at the architecture of the problem. So, you know, everyone's just reinventing the wheel and Mm -hmm. that's not going to help we as women collectively Absolutely. if we don't really address the systemic problems. I equate it to what happened in the 60s with women in sports yeah. where they put together Title IX that really opened things up. They started creating sports programs in schools to create mm. a pipeline for female athletes. And that's what we're doing. We want to create a pipeline of female founded companies that are really well built, that are investor ready that those women are, as the as investors would say, fundable CEOs that are getting mm-hmm. the proper training holistically, and that we're very, very focused on revenue generation. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the single most powerful things that we do is to help companies increase the value of their company by helping them to get their first deal, get their first strategic partner, get feedback from customers, Sometimes telling them that your business is not a great business, it's just a good hobby and you need to shut it down and start over. Mm. And because the end goal for us is to make sure that these women are able to exit and that some are able to IPO and Mm. that they do so with great wealth. That's the key with great wealth so that they can then impact their communities, their families and rinse and repeat like our fabulous male counterparts have done for years. And Mm. if you don't really look at that long tail goal, then, you know, your ecosystem design may really go, may follow the track of our predecessors Mm. because we are very concerned about what kind of deals women sign, how much Mm. equity they are able to preserve so that they are at the, at the end, they walk away with something meaningful. And most importantly, when they get to series A, they don't get replaced. No, because Mm. many, many will, which is why of the five pillars that we are based that we that we are you know dedicated to the first one is building founder dna mm-hmm. and creating those fundable ceos and upskilling them as leaders so that they can grow with the success of their company and what i love about the approach is the systemic lens so you know instead of just trying to fix the women in inverted commas <laughs> we're fixing the system and i think you know yes incubators accelerate a certain part of a process it isn't an end-to-end process yeah. and it isn't an end-to-end value chain, is it? And I like the fact that the systemic equity is being driven through all the pillars and every part of the process. What have you been your biggest learnings from deploying the model? And you talked about the pillar of found, founder DNA. What are the other pillars? So the other pillar is business strategy and legal. And that's the second one. 
Mm-hmm. And that track is really focused on assessing whether your business is viable before mm-hmm. you invest your college fund. Yes. You know, <laughs> before you before you mortgage the house, mm-hmm. before you ask your your old uncle for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. That's really the focus. And and that is the pillar that a lot of founders just skip. Yep. That's the problem. Yeah. They go straight from, I have a great idea to building the idea, and they don't really focus on that. So that includes things like your go-to-market strategy, product mm-hmm. market fit, really understanding your business model, You know, doing your five-year, three-year financial model, even though it's early on, the discipline mm-hmm. of actually doing it teaches you a lot about mm-hmm. whether the business is really viable right? Oftentimes you might ask a founder, like, let's say I like to use the candle example. We're selling a candle. The candle is $49.99. I may say, what is your business model? And she'd be like, well, you know, my profit margin is $30. It only cost me 20 to produce. I was like, okay, that's not a business, business model. model. <laughs> and, and, you, and, you can't, mm. and you can't build a business that way, right? So mm. it's also helping them to really craft their investor materials even if they're not going to raise capital, because again, it forces them to look at everything, their competitive mm. benchmarking, you know, customer discovery, their mm. persona building, all mm. of that, you know, it's work, but it's important business strategy work that needs to get done. How are you incorporated? Do you think you're going to scale? Do you think you're going to take institutional investors? Mm. Then you should file as a C-corp. Don't make the mistake of filing different than that, because then you're just going to have to refile just more money wasted, et cetera. So that's the mm. second one. Then the third one, we move into product development, uh, whether it's a product or service. And then uh, the fourth is sales marketing, which mm. is critically important. Then the last is operations and scaling. And you'll notice that I didn't talk about fundraising. Yes. So <laughs> fundraising is, is not one of our five pillars. It is part of operations and scaling, and it is part of business strategy and legal mm. because we want to educate women on the options, most importantly. And we do assist women at that stage anytime and happy to help. But the reason it's not a major pillar is because our focus is building an amazing business Mm. that is really strong foundationally, that with success actually can scale. Mm. And if you do it right, you will drive revenue, you will hit milestone markers and you will attract investors. The key at that point is to really be able to assess and compare term sheets and make sure that you're getting a proper deal. Mm. And you said before that women often try and gloss over the second pillar. Why, why do you think that is? What happens there? Why, why don't we look at business models and look at viable plans and define those type of things? I think it's because there's just a lack of guidance in that mm-hmm. area in the marketplace. And they don't, they may do some of it. Like for example, let's say they want to get into the dog food business, right? They may do some benchmarking analysis and look at other dog food companies, Mm. et cetera, but they don't do deep competitive analysis, such as if it's a publicly held company, you know, if they don't look at their financials to look at what are their Mm. cost centers, what cost centers do they have? What cost centers may I have that I haven't thought about? You know, if they thought about logistics, if they thought about supply chain issues, if they thought about testing, you know, mm-hmm. what does that typically cost? Things of that nature. And that just comes by having someone look over your shoulder and really operate as a partner to you and say, you know, you really need to do. And that's why working on the financial model, even early on, 
and your projections is critical because that will come up immediately. Mm. Mm. And so how did you build the the startup model so that the the pillars and the global studios, was it off your own learning or how, how did you come up with the model? It was based off my own learning. It was based on research and it was based on all of the advisor support that we have that we're fortunate to have. Mm. We have over 60 advisors that are domain, domain experts in different, very different fields, majority of whom are all women. It's really been an evolution of the work that we have done. And beneath those big pillars are many, many subcategories, obviously, because yeah. those are very, very yeah. broad, mm. right? I didn't even talk about kind of our social impact, which is a whole other very important focus of the company. We're mm. a B-Lab certified corporation. We filed as a public benefit corporation. You have to be committed to the ESGs to be a member. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to be in clean water or clean air, but you have mm. to at least at the governance level, be committed to the ESGs. Mm. So yeah, so there's a, there's a lot that we do consider and, and really stress. Mm. Because I, I saw the incredibly diverse advisory teams that you have in terms of different industries, different profiles, different experiences. Can you tell us more about the governance and what what that brings, not only to your model, but also to the women who go through these programs? Yeah, I'm sure you've probably heard of this uh, book because it was a bestseller. And it says, the title of the book is Everything I Learned in Life, I Learned in Kindergarten or something to that effect. I have to say that now that I'm doing what I'm doing, I feel that the lessons and the education that I got in the entertainment business really inform so much of what I do because I see so many parallels. Mm. And and I'll just speak very briefly to that. I'm a person who I, I got a master's in clinical psych. I actually practiced in the inner city. I also worked with seniors for a long time before I went back into the field and I started as an entrepreneur. I'm also a published author. I worked in entertainment. I've done a lot of different, I even had like a fashion brand at one point. I've done a lot of different things. And the beauty Mm. of when you work horizontally is that you are able to pluck lessons and kernels of knowledge from industries that have nothing to do with what you're doing. Mm. But the principles are analogous and you can see how they could apply. Mm. And I do that all the time. And I think as it pertains to the advisors, I look at We Global as kind of a Warner Brothers Studios. Mm. That's Mm. how I look at it. More virtual version at this moment. (laughs) I look at the advisors as the stars, Mm. truly. like They are our stars. They are what make our company really unique. I don't really like the term mentorship. We don't really use mentors. We use advisors Mm -hmm. because they're very tactical. And hugely, obviously, most of them are in the C-suite, but they're incredibly dedicated to our cause. Mm. And I knew that for us to really be able to be effective and to really lean into the network effect of our platform, that we needed to have a very large cadre of of friends of We Global who really would be willing to work with us, work with our advisors, and work externally as well as brand ambassadors. So for some, it's a little daunting as it's grown. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of people that haven't even made it yet onto the website, which that'll get rectified in the next month or so. I think now we're well over 65 and growing, and I could grow it every day, but Mm -hmm. I think it's 
I think that is critically important in it. I would advise any founder to, as part of an early stage strategy, bring in advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to have equity all the time. They could be on on a volunteer basis. But you know, the more people you know, mm-hmm. and the more people that know what you're doing, the greater your success and the greater your accountability also. Yeah. yeah. I like the fact that, in fact, it's busting the myths of what we learn at school, well, certainly in the Western world, which is you need to be an expert, you need to be an expert in your subjects. I love the fact that you're bringing together all the strands of everything you've done to create yeah, something. Yeah. And, and in that role modeling, Fernanda, that that you need to have these different lenses all the time, as particularly as a founder and particularly as a female founder, because we do have multiple jobs as well as founding our business. So I think, you know, bringing in advisors and allowing that opening to different types of thinking and different ways of working, different skills as a starting base is really, really interesting. And when women come into that community, do they automatically get, I'm not going to say a mentor, get an advisor or how does how does that work? So it's interesting you should raise that because we're now in a transitional period in how we're using our advisors. Mm-hmm. So initially, the advisors had really been working on helping the leadership of Wheat Global with its growth and mm-hmm. advising founders in, in different ways. For example, we have a monthly Ask Me Anything coffee where advisors will come, founders will come, they have <clears> access <throat> to the advisors, they can ask questions. And of course, we connect and I connect founders Mm -hmm. to advisors all the time. We're now create, and then we have what we call bungalow domain experts, because on our platform, we have different bungalows for different verticals. So we'll have a sales and marketing bungalow business strategy. Those founders, I mean, those advisors that are specialists in those areas will be domain experts there in the bungalow so they can access questions through the live feed, et cetera, engage with them. We're now taking that one step further and we're creating a technology council, for example, a marketing council. The marketing council is now comprised of about eight senior marketing executives mm-hmm. who are dedicating some of their own, you know, kind of their own thought leadership into the pot. Mm-hmm. We're going to package that and we're going to be offering some marketing services, free marketing services to our founders through the council that they will mentor directly in executing some of their marketing strategies. And additionally, we're looking at creating kind of a one-to-one relationship with some of our advisors. Obviously, that is not as scalable because if we no. have 10,000 women, I'm going to have 10,000 mm-hmm. advisors. It gets a little bit unwieldy. But what we, what I do like to do is to create these opportunities where you can have a one-to-many because the reality is that a lot of women have the same issues, same questions. Mm. So it's so much better when you have them in a forum where other founders can hear the same legal question, the same marketing Mm. question, how it's being answered. Mm. And then they can follow up because on our platform, you can private message anyone. So it's not gated. So it's really up to the founder to reach out and connect. The more Mm. aggressive and assertive you are, the more you get. Hmm. <laughs> and it brings me to my next question, which, you know, you talk about the, the issues women have. What do you think are particular challenges that female founders have that our male counterpart founders don't face? Women are a little too nice. Hmm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they need more permission than men do. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to, so I'll give you an example on hmm. that, which is you have a platform with 
currently we have about 180 founders on our platform innovating their companies and you might and you have 60 founders mm. now you can go on that platform just like linkedin you can see everybody's profile you can search profiles see where there's a fit you can obviously link look at them at linkedin etc mm. you could make a list of who would be beneficial to you you can reach out to them through the platform you can private message them you can reach out to me i will also happily make a warm introduction. Mm -hmm. I would say probably 5% of founders do that. Wow. 5%. Okay. I I don't know why I'm so surprised. I knew it would be low, but I'm quite surprised by 5%. Now, if this was a male platform, I would reckon to say it would be probably 80%, right? (laughs) Because men are naturally born networkers. They don't need permission. They uh, feel entitled Mm. to do that. and And they should. Mm. But that's why I think there's this there's this sense of not wanting to bother, not wanting to be perceived as X. Yeah, so that's that's a mindset issue. That's why I think building founder DNA is such an important part mm. of it. You must be assertive. You must, you know, this company has to be your baby, and mm. you have to treat it as if it's a life or death situation, right? Mm. That's number one. The other thing that I see a lot of, and and and, and I'm at fault at this as well is. You know, every sport has its own language, whether it's yeah. cricket or soccer mm. or football or tennis, they have their own lingo, right? Mm. Business has its own language and Absolutely. it's called accounting. Mm-hmm. It's called accounting. And if you don't speak the language of business, you can't be successful in business. And a lot of women don't speak the language of accounting, nor do they want to. Mm. So they may have someone on their team who's a CFO, partial CFO or a numbers person, and as we do. Mm. And I certainly don't know accounting and I'm learning, but it's critically important that when you work on your financial projections uh, and you look at your cash flow analysis and your balance sheet, P&L, all of that, that you ask and you understand and you really commit yourself to understanding the numbers because the numbers are everything. Because at the end of the day, Investors do not invest in a company. They invest in a financial instrument. Mm. I'm going to say that again for your listeners. They invest (laughs) in a financial Mm -hmm. instrument. Your product or service is the conduit to the financial instrument. Your business model is what is the mechanism that provides that Mm. financial instrument. Mm. And they're there to make a return on their money. How fabulous your product is, how innovative it is, that's the cherry on top. So we all need to really get into that mindset of our business is just a train that gets us to that financial destination. And we really need to understand the inner workings of the company and how financially, what those levers are that produce revenue, where to really push on the pedal, where to really cut back, where initiatives are just a waste of time at this stage, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's a, that's a real growth area, which is why mm. the summit that we are hosting, we do every year, is going to be on the 12th of May. It's This year is called Rev Up for Revenue. Okay. And it's really going to be really focused on, on that. Mm. Because it's also the language that's spoken, isn't it? It's, so it's an exactly. understanding of the business and the mechanics and the accounts, but it's also the language that you're going to speak when you're speaking with investors and VCs and things like that. That's right. That's right. Mm. And if you don't speak the language, just like anywhere, right? Yeah. Anything. When mm. you don't speak the lingo, 
What do people immediately know? You're an insider or you're an outsider. Mm. If you don't speak the language, you're perceived to be an outsider. That's mm. not going to help you raise capital. No, clearly. And it's not going to help the credibility of you or your product, is it? Or how to run your business. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I see a lot of founders who will get money, whether it's through a grant or through an investment, et cetera, and they're not sure how to spend it, mm. how to maximize those funds. And that's when you know. When you know your numbers, you already are building, you know, some data insights mm. on, oh, I see if I invest here, this is what's going to happen. Like we had one founder who received a grant from us last year. She won $10,000. She invested all of it in marketing. Within three months, she tripled her sales, which then mm. opened the doors for her to be invited to some other accelerator programs and some other great opportunities but you have to really understand your business and really understand what's really critical to move the dial. We had another founder who used the grant winnings to mm. produce more of the backstock of her product because she couldn't get into grocery stores until she had a certain amount of backstock. So it's really understanding what, what are those levers. And then once she got those grocery store deals, then she was invited into a program at Purina, which led to, and you see there's a whole <clears throat> trickle effect, but you yeah. have to really do that analysis. Yeah, and the understanding of what you're buying and what for. And yeah, which right. gets back into the business plan. But we spoke a little bit, you spoke a little bit about the virtual environment mean, is positive for women. It means that they can be more present and that they can contribute more. But as the world gets more interconnected, shall we say, and technology moves on at an exponential speed, so therefore there are more, more and more startups and the ecosystem is growing every day, do you see the challenges for women changing or are there any different challenges coming up? I'm going to use cannabis as, a, as an example or, or maybe even blockchain, but let's just mm -hmm. start with cannabis. When the cannabis industry became super hot, a lot of women went into the cannabis industry and kind of felt like, okay, this is, this is our shot. This is our opportunity in a new field to mm -hmm. really make a killing, make a name for ourselves. As it progressed, more and more men came into the field, bigger companies came mm. into the field. The percentage of women now in cannabis has become much less than it was kind of earlier days. And that's my greatest fear with what's going on right mm. now. And which mm. is why I think what we do is so important because I almost view our company, even though it's obviously a for-profit as a movement, because I don't want women to miss this window. Yeah, absolutely. I really, we all want to help women mm. to really fix the problems of years past mm. and to really step into this great, great opportunity that's going, this revolution that's going on, this entrepreneurial kind of renaissance mm. that's going mm. on, and to really change the direction of the Titanic now. Mm. It's not going to happen unless they really embrace kind of new ways of doing business. And paving the way for other generations of women coming in, and, yeah. which is really important for me. Clearly, I don't work in your space, but I work in women in leadership in organizations a lot. And it's the same discussion. Don't fix the women, fix the system and start opening doors and creating mindsets that will allow the younger generation as well to come in and act differently and, and make the change. Because, you know, if we listen to the UN, it's going to take 90, 90 years to get parity. So, I mean, so... Is that your vision for female founders? Therefore, if I take you to 2030, what do female founders look like? And would we still be discussing the same issues? 
You know, the truth of the matter is I, I look at my own daughter who's just turned 15. I, mm-hmm. I think that the younger generation, fortunately, are, you know, they think so differently and they're such yep. digital natives yes. by heart yes. that, you know, my, my daughter, who's a, my older daughter is a junior in college, texted me yesterday and she said, you know, she was given a school assignment and she had to create a product, launch a website create their promotional videos, do a social campaign, blah, blah, blah. And she said, mom, look what I did today. She sent it to me. It was an amazing website with actually a really novel idea. Mm. And she had her promo video and she did it in less than 24 hours. So what I want to make sure that I do is create systems whereby you can do that. Mm. I think that for me has most landing, has most lasting change and can be most impactful. And by that, I mean, if we still looked at websites 20 years ago, we had to have an expert create these websites. Mm. It was really a mystery how websites were created, right? Now, we don't have to know what's going on back there. No. We just go to some of these other sites like a Wix <clears> or, <throat> or Foursquare, et cetera, and we create, you know, in a matter of hours, you can get a website up. That's what I hope We Global becomes for entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs in the future where it's like, you need to create a company, you can go to us and you can put in your information and we would recommend, given Mm. what you just said, we recommend you file in the state of California as this, in the state of Delaware as why. If you'd like to move forward with that, we'll send you over to our marketplace. We've got 50 law firms across the country. Mm. You can put in your prices. We'll hook you up with the right people. We'll match you. You can do your meetings, et cetera. When you're done there, our startup concierge will direct you to the next stage. I mean, that's brilliant. Mm. This is coming. Yeah. I mean, right now, what we have is nothing more than a cottage industry of like who you know, go see Bob, then mm. go see Jim, and maybe you can get in the door here. And you just waste a lot of time and money. And women don't have the time and money to waste. No, and it's also an old boys network, isn't it? It's it's a very sort of male centered network. What's your biggest success story to date, Fernanda? Of either a female founder or something. I mean, it's the whole of it is a success story. And I love that vision of creating that system that women can literally just step into. Right, right. I think that, you know, our success stories, since we're still young, are still very much in the early stages. I will share a few stories. We partner with universities because we want to be the bridge and kind of the soft landing pad for female entrepreneurs in the university system when they transition over to the private sector. Okay. So that's part of our big corporate strategy. So at one of our university partners, which happened to be Cornell Tech, we had a founder who was innovating in the automotive industry, in deep tech and automotive. And she was trying to kind of get her beta off the ground. And obviously when you do that, you need enterprise partners in order mm. to really facilitate that. So we were able to pick up the phone, place some calls, and ultimately get her a relationship and partnership with Mercedes-Benz and with BMW to really start those dialogues. And she is now working with them. And that may lead to a lot, right? Mm. You never know where those Mm. things go. And I feel like access to key customers, that's why our Rev Up Summit this year, there is a pitch competition, but founders are pitching to customers, not to funders. Right. Okay. Because that changes the entire game overnight. Mm. Overnight. Mm. 
Mm. Right. That was a great story. We have another, we have a partnership with a women's organization in Athens, Greece. We had a founder there who's innovating, who's a scientist who created something called a dosimeter, which really Mm -hmm. measures radiation for technicians when they are doing work in kind of the x-ray room at the Mm -hmm. hospitals. And it's real time feedback as opposed to having to like ship these things off. Three months later, you find out that you've been overexposed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what's really awesome is her product was selected by NASA and was being sent up to the moon to really assess its its ability to really detect Mm. radiation for astronauts, which is phenomenal. But even more important than that, I think, because I do believe female founders and founders in general who are making a huge impact are literally the stars of tomorrow. Mm. She was featured in a Porsche commercial in Greece. And she was also on the cover of, I believe it was, I want to say it was Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. So it was a major, it was a major Mm. publication. And I think we're going to see more and more in that. I project as we get into the next five to 10 years, I think, I hope the days of putting beautiful women who have, you know, beautiful figures and are flawless on the cover of Mm. magazines. I Mm. hope that is coming to an end. And instead we should put beautiful women who are imperfect, but are doing incredible things for the planet and are true heroes and leaders Mm. and the gladiators of the world really merit being on the cover of these major magazines because your self-worth should not be based on how beautiful you are, but more on what you're doing to change the world. Mm. And so there again, we're shifting the paradigms, aren't we, of societal stereotypes, but also come back to your permission statement, you know, we internalize those narratives, don't we, as women in society? So it's about right. us stepping out of that as well as an intentional part of building building our business. How can people sign up to your RevUp Summit then? That sounds super. Yeah, I literally just posted it today. So if you go to We Global Studios on LinkedIn, you will find our, our page and there is a post there. There'll be a link you can sign up, you can pre-register, mm-hmm. you can pre-register there for the summit. Okay. Excellent. And we will, tickets will become, will become available on the 13th, but you get on the list because seating is limited. We're doing it at the Microsoft headquarters in Playa Vista here in Los Angeles. We can only accommodate a certain number of founders. <clears throat> so yeah, please do come out. Okay. Super, super opportunity. Time is running, but would you have a last call to action for our listeners who are sitting there thinking, Okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to launch my business. Yeah. Well, first of all, I welcome any of your listeners who are interested in entrepreneurship to join us. Mm -hmm. We do have a free membership. It's called the Vine Studio. So you can sign up at our website, which is weglobalstudios.com and select Vine and request to join. From there, you can later decide if you want to become a paying member but there are resources available at the Vine Studio. Secondly, I would say if you want to launch a business, the first thing to really do is to assess whether or not your product or your service is already in the marketplace and whether you're creating something completely new Mm. or you believe is completely new Mm. or whether you're improving something that is there. And really do a deep dive to understand how people are solving that problem, whether poorly or Mm. maybe okay. So you can assess how those dollars are being spent, where they're being spent, and how your version of that 
of solving that pain can be further developed in order to kind of really fit in this niche and to really identify your clear, clear focus. As founders, we tend to go very broad because we, mm. we're visionaries mm. and we want to take on the world and it's really hard to get very focused. Mm. But it is important early on to try to be super focused because if you build on that success, then it's easy to then start adding and expanding, expanding markets, expanding people that you can sell to, you know, increasing your features, et cetera. Okay. And I will say, if I may, one last thing from a psychological standpoint, you have to eradicate all negative thinking from your brain to be a founder. Mm. You really do. You have to get rid of all the negative voices in your head, Mm. all of the judgment in your head, and really believe that from this day forward, your history, your past is that it's your past. And it has no bearing on your future whatsoever. And you have to believe that you can create that which you see. Mm. And that's, that's what's going to drive you. An important message, isn't it? So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave our listeners, particularly with that message of taming your inner voice and also coming from a created future. It's what you declare possible. Yeah. So, you know, it's not somewhere to get to. It's somewhere to come from. And I'm hearing yeah. that loud and clear from you. So I, so I think... We've talked about Vine Studios. We've talked about the Global Studios um, website. Is that where people can also get hold of you if they just want to ask questions or get into contact with you? Yeah, and I actually, because I'm, you know, I have a therapeutic background. This is an area I'm super knee deep into. So anyone who's really interested in getting support in that area, I've already launched my own site, but uh, it is going to be evolving in the next couple of weeks. But it's FernandaCarapina.com. So it's just my name, it's F-E-R-N-A-N-D-A-C-A-R-A-P-I-N-H-A.com. So you can reach me directly through there. And I have a lot of my own independent kind of coaching and transformational content and programs, et cetera, that really help with the mindset piece because it is the biggest driver of success. Yeah, and it's so important. So thank you for that. And I will put the website and also your site in the show notes so that people can also find it more easily okay thank you Fernanda thank you for coming and sharing your story the global studios and your insights with us it's been a great conversation yeah thank thank you Susie thank you for doing what you do likewise thank you all right take care bye-bye bye we hope you enjoyed this episode and the learning it brought and if so please head over to iTunes and give us your feedback and your review and it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.